Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging, providing proactive medical diagnostics to catch deadly or debilitating diseases early, using state-of-the-art equipment to detect warning signs or offer peace of mind. You can take charge of your health at virtualimagingatl.com. Herschel Walker's U.S. Senate campaign has been rocked by allegations from his past. In an article breaking just a short time ago in the Daily Beast claiming that Herschel Walker paid for an abortion back in 2009. Walker has already responded with a statement calling the story a flat-out lie. And by allegations from his adult son, Christian Walker. Don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy, talk normal, do not lie. Walker first mostly responded on conservative media. I can tell you right now, I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion, and it's a lie, and I'm going to continue to fight. As Walker denies the claims, he's rolled out a new ad talking about redemption. As everyone knows, I had a real battle with mental health. Even wrote a book about it, and by the grace of God, I've overcome it. And Republican, conservative, and religious voices are coming to his defense. That's a personal issue that he has to deal with that happened in his past. I look at this through the political lens, and he has vowed to continue to focus on issues that are important to the people of Georgia. Will Republicans stand by their Senate candidate, even if more shoes drop? Are there drawbacks if Democrats attack Walker over his personal life? What will this mean for one of the tightest Senate races in the country? I'm Raul Bally, a politics reporter at WABE. I'm Susanna Capaluto, WABE politics editor. I'm Sam Greenglass, also a WABE politics reporter. And I'm Emma Hurt of Axios Atlanta, and this is Georgia Votes 2022, a podcast about the Georgia midterms. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote it's a duty. because I want to make an and impact. I vote on my because local I community. want leaders who care voting about Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. All right, let's start by catching everyone up on the latest surrounding Herschel Walker's campaign. Sam, he seems to continue to deny several articles out now by the Daily Beast that say Walker paid for his ex-girlfriend's abortion. So the last few days have been a bit dizzying in this Senate race. So let's just do a quick catch up before we get to the latest. The Daily Beast backs up their report saying they have seen a receipt from an abortion clinic, a check from Walker, and a get well card he supposedly signed, which they posted along with the story. WABE and NPR have not independently confirmed this account. Walker, as we've noted, has vehemently denied the story, even as later in the week, the Daily Beast followed up their first report with another story, uh, revealing that the ex-girlfriend is also the mother of one of Walker's children. Besides the salaciousness of the story, there's another reason that this matters, and that's because as a candidate, Walker is a staunch and vocal opponent of abortion, and uh, he supports a ban without any exceptions. And Raul Herschel Walker's son, Christian, he's a conservative social media personality. He blasted his father, and his latest tweet was, wear a condom, damn. So that can't bode well for the campaign either. No, it can't. And and let me start by talking about Christian Walker himself. I I would, as you kind of mentioned, I would consider him a conservative social media influencer. He has a half a million Instagram followers, nearly 300,000 Twitter followers. He has a podcast, 
Much of what he focuses on is social conservatives being canceled in popular culture and daily life. And so late Monday, you know, a couple of hours after the original Daily Beast story is posted, Walker started tweeting, Christian Walker, including saying that his father, Herschel Walker, was not a family man and that, quote, he threatened to kill us and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. Then Tuesday morning, he started posting videos. And this here's just a little bit of what people heard. I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom were downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. Family values, people. He has four kids, four different women, wasn't in the house raising one of them. He was out having sex with other women. Do you care about family values? Now, Christian Walker also blasted people on the left and the right who were attacking him for various reasons over this story. So where did it go from there, Emma? You were at a rally with Walker in Wadley, Georgia. That's near Augusta. Tell us about it. I was. This was his first really publicized campaign event that was open to press since all of this blew up. And um, there were a lot of reporters there, a lot of national television reporters there at this lumber mill in a small town southwest of Augusta. And there were a couple hundred of the lumber mill employees there on a break listening to him. It was an it was an interesting scene. Um, Walker, really, his speech to the crowd was kind of like a motivational speech, which, as we know, he has given a lot of in his in his lifetime. He didn't mention the word Senate at all or campaign or vote or anything at all. He just told his life story, which, as we know, is a remarkable one from a kid who was bullied in in middle school to a football star, to an MMA fighter, to an Olympic bobsledder. But it was such a striking change from some of the other campaign stops we've seen. And then afterwards, he did face the gauntlet of, of questions from reporters asking, you know, have you spoken to any of the mothers of your children to see if any of them are are the, the woman in question in the story? What do you say about your son's allegations? And he really stuck to his stuck to uh, the line that he has already answered to multiple times on TV saying, you know, I love my son unconditionally. That's about as far as he'll go in talking about his son to reporters. And he said he hadn't spoken to the mothers of any of his children because it's a false allegation and there's no need to. It was a remarkable scene, but I will say that, you know, of the Walker fans in the crowd, this attack did not dissuade them, it appears. So how are other Republicans reacting to this? Is there worry this could drag down the overall Republican ticket in Georgia? Or can Herschel Walker remain sort of a solo outlier here? You know, based on the polling averages that we've seen of the down-ballot candidates, Walker has been tracking as a little bit of an outlier. We've spoken about Governor Kemp outperforming him in polls. We know that Brad Raffensperger is outperforming everyone in polls for a whole lot of reasons. But, um, you know, I think we're hearing from other candidates largely dodges on this question. I mean, Governor Kemp has studiously avoided it and said he's focused on his race. That being said, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who is not running for re-election, has come out and, and spoken pretty decisively saying that, let's be honest, Walker only got this nomination because he scored a bunch of touchdowns and um, has spoken aloud some of the fears that I've heard from Republicans that, that this could be 
this could be especially damaging. Well, it, even the most staunch Republicans, I think, are rattled at the continued flow of information. Uh, I think every Republican knew that there was baggage out there, and uh, but the weight of that baggage is starting to, to feel a little closer to unbearable at this point. On the other side of the coin, though, I do just want to say we political reporters often inhabit a world that is full of strategists and politicians and people who are on Twitter that is not necessarily the real world. So the big question becomes, of course, how does this message get to voters? And in what form do attack ads take? And will they be effective when there have already been $50 million worth of attack ads spent against Walker? That question, we don't know yet. And that is the question for the rest of this month to come. Yeah, Emma's right. And, you know, the National Republican Senatorial Campaign, uh, they issued a statement earlier this week saying the party stands behind Walker and Georgians will, too. The reality is that Georgia is one of the GOP's top prospects to pick up a seat in the Senate as they clamor for control of that chamber. And so even if some Republicans are privately worried about how this might affect Walker's chances, there's very little incentive to cut support now because, in fact, the National Party has done the opposite, as Emma mentioned. I think former President Trump is an instructive example here. Uh, even after the insurrection, most Republicans in office, or at least a large chunk of them, still came back around to support the party and, in some cases, to support the former president. And assuming that Walker's party ID is enough to hang on to his support among the base, where we should really be watching right now is some of these independent-minded voters in the suburbs who may have already been hesitant about Walker and might now be thinking hard about whether to vote Republican in that Senate race. Before these stories dropped, I met Greg Miner, who's voting for Republicans up and down the ticket, but he had some concerns about Walker and was trying to evaluate how he would vote in that race. Troubled me a little bit. You know, some of the allegations against Bertha Walker. So that's something I'll have to take a closer look at. If it's true, yeah, that could change my mind. So the question is whether voters like Minor come around to Walker, whether they leave the race blank, or vote Libertarian. But I'm skeptical, as Emma mentioned, that this will affect other races on the ballot. I wanted to bring up two other connected items. First, you know, we're trying to figure out the effect of this story. And one of the things that's kind of jumped out at me is what's leaking into popular culture. First, before any of this broke, Saturday Night Live gave Herschel Walker and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell the weekend update treatment. And then, after this story broke, there was radio and TV host Dana Lash, who has a significant conservative following, you know, chiming in on this story. So I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate. If the Daily Beast story is true, you're telling me Walker used his money to reportedly pay some skank for an abortion and Warnock wants to use all of our monies to pay a whole bunch of skanks for abortions. Then you had Whoopi Goldberg chime in on those comments. First of all, ma'am, there's a lot of women who find themselves in a position of having to have an abortion. How dare you call them skanks, first of all. And I believe the whole point is that Walker is saying, I believe that this is murder, I believe that, and has paid, supposedly, for women to have abortions. That's the point. This is getting attention outside of the normal 
political media cycles beyond the circles that we deal with as people who cover politics. I am also going to see if this is somehow opening a door for the third party candidate, specifically in Georgia, libertarian Chase Oliver, who has been trying to use this whole situation to get some traction during the Walker controversy. Look, I saw Chase Oliver on the Atlanta Fox TV station doing an interview. And if Herschel Walker doesn't show up to the Atlanta Press Club debate next weekend, Chase Oliver is going to get an hour of stage time with Senator Raphael Warnock. All of that being said, yeah, we have done these stories before. Third parties and candidates will get votes. But at a minimum, the part they play a role in with this conversation is could their vote totals lead to a runoff? Because again, in Georgia, we are a 50% plus one state. Just like the 2020 elections where you had two Senate races go to a runoff, that's always a possibility here in Georgia. Well, let's pause here for a break. I'm Susanna Capaluto, and this is Georgia Votes 2022. Support for WABE comes from Virtual Imaging. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Utilizing low-dose radiation scans that reveal cancers, cardiac issues, precursors of dementia, and more. Information about early health screenings at virtualimagingatl.com. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022 this week with Sam, Raul, and Emma. We have a court date now for the challenge to Georgia's six-week abortion ban and personhood law. That challenge is based on a privacy provision in Georgia's state constitution. Now, those arguments will be heard on October 24th and 25th in Fulton County Superior Court. That date, of course, is before the election. What wrinkles do we expect from that? So the state had been pushing to delay these proceedings until after the election. Uh, Judge Robert McBurney, who's overseeing the case, he denied that effort. And, you know, as we've talked about, abortion is an issue that Republicans are trying to avoid talking about in many cases leading up to the election as they try to compete for some of these voters who might be in the middle of the political spectrum. And just some context on this case, this, as Susanna mentioned, is a challenge proceeding through state court. Previously, there had been a legal challenge through federal courts that became rendered basically moot once the Supreme Court earlier this summer struck down Roe v. Wade, clearing the way for Georgia's restrictive abortion law to take effect. I think the most interesting thing that's going to come out of this hearing is how political candidates take whatever is said in that court and make their arguments on abortion. How does, you know, a Stacey Abrams take what the state of Georgia says defending Georgia's law and turn it into a commercial. And generally, we've been seeing Republicans not move toward the issue, but maybe they're put in a position where they do something with it. That's what I want to see. It's not as much what happens in the hearings. It's what's done with the audio and video afterwards. And we do not expect maybe a decision actually in the case. This is just the hearing that's happening before the election. And a decision could come afterwards, after the election? We don't know. I would not expect a decision 
that quick before an election. And even if the judge, this judge, who's also involved in the special grand jury looking at election interference, he has made clear in that case that he's always sensitive to kind of the, the political implications. That's the reason this decision was kind of surprising to have the hearing on this date. But he had some interesting things to say in his opinion, making clear that he wonders if, you know, this is a case that needs to be heard now because of the effect on Georgians right now. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments this week in the Alabama case that could weaken the role of race in how political lines are drawn. The decision, of course, will affect Georgia. And I think we currently have five cases pending that challenge Georgia's new maps. So before we get to the Alabama case that's currently before the Supreme Court, let me just give you a little background context as it relates to Georgia. Georgia drew new congressional maps, new statehouse maps after the last census, and those maps were challenged uh, in federal court earlier this year. Uh, They've already gone before a judge as some groups were asking the courts for a preliminary injunction to basically stop the maps from being implemented before this upcoming election. That effort was denied by a judge, even though he did seem to acknowledge that some of the claims that these groups were making under the Voting Rights Act did have legs. So this case will proceed likely after a ruling in this Alabama Supreme Court case that Raul is talking about. They basically didn't want it to move forward until they knew what the Supreme Court was going to do more broadly about whether pieces of the Voting Rights Act could remain in force. So let's talk about that Alabama case that was heard before the U.S. Supreme Court and explain why it's not only important to George, but really is important to many states across the country. Uh, The state of Alabama has seven congressional districts. So roughly each district will cover about 14 percent of Alabama's population they ended up producing only one black majority district. So basically about 14% of the population would be likely uh, represented by a candidate of their choice. The state of Alabama is 27% black. The question is, does the Voting Rights Act demand that Alabama produce two majority black districts that allow black voters to pick the candidate of their choice. And that's why this is important to what Sam was talking about, because is that what needs to happen in Georgia? Again, you had a judge, Stephen Jones, here in the state of Georgia saying, look, I think there's something here to work with with the state of Georgia, but I needed to wait before, you know, for the elections to go through, and then we'll look at the case. And this is what's worrying advocates like Ken Lawler, who's the chair of Fair Districts Georgia. He's worried what will happen to those Georgia cases based on what the Supreme Court does. This case, depending on where the Supreme Court goes with their decision, has the ability to basically pull the rug out from under these five cases in Georgia. That's how Georgia could easily be affected. And if they set new precedents, we've got issues with getting fair fair districts and fair minority representation. Now, Lawler was joined by a number of voting right advocates who were concerned about this and were talking about this issue. Well, we'll keep our eyes out for a decision here. Early in-person voting is just about a week away, and some counties are still dealing with challenges to their voting rolls that were brought by regular people who, under Georgia's new election law, can now make such claims. Have any of them had any effect? You know, Susanna, we haven't heard of mass numbers of voters being thrown out, and we know that tens of thousands have been challenged in different counties. I mean, sometimes it's as small 
as still a big number, but in Cobb County, we just saw a challenge of nearly 600 voters. There have been other metro counties in particular that we've been tracking. So far, you know, the Cobb one is still up in the air. Many have been rejected en masse. But I think the big picture of what's happening here is that this is a change from SB202, which didn't create the ability for any voter to challenge another voter's eligibility, but it specified that you can file unlimited number of challenges. And so you have groups and even people on their own who are doing all this digging into address uh, history and trying to argue that their, some of their fellow voters shouldn't actually be eligible to vote. And as you mentioned, this is happening now quite close to our November 8th election day. And one of the groups that's been a vocal spreader of false claims about widespread election fraud in 2020, they challenged almost 40,000 voter registrations in Gwinnett County. Georgia already has protocols in place to keep its voter rolls up to date. But what this has meant now is that election staffers are having to, again, verify all these registrations. And it's straining staff ahead of, you know, as you mentioned, this really high stakes election when there's plenty of other prep uh, that election administrators need to be doing right now. This is Stephen Day. He's a member of the Gwinnett County Board of Elections, and he's a Democrat. It, it penalizes the, the staff. It penalizes the voter who has to wait while somebody's filling out the challenge form. It's like a provisional. It causes delay. It, it puts the, the voter in an awkward position, and it puts the poll worker. It causes delays there. I, I, I call it using a shotgun to kill a flea. And in Gwinnett County, uh, this week, the election board ended up finishing their verification of all of these challenges and uh, tossed out the rest of the claims. Before we leave, a note, Tuesday is the last day to register to vote in Georgia, and absentee ballots will be mailed out also starting next week. And next week is official debate week. A week from now, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock will meet on the debate stage in Savannah, Georgia. We'll all be there and we'll drop a special Georgia Votes 2022 episode after the debate. So look for that. That's it for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022. Sam, Raul, Emma, thank you so much for your time. Road trip! Loved being here, Susanna. Georgia Votes 2022 comes to you from the WABE Politics Desk. Kevin Rinker is our producer. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at georgiavotes at wabe.org. And the NPR Politics Podcast comes to the Bucket Theater on October 20th. We hope to see you there. Please rate this podcast. We'll see you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.